Welcome to the For the Fans podcast, a podcast for fans by fans. My name is Dalton Scamahorn. And my name is Philip Janini. And if you came to listen, listen to stories about unsolved murders and serial killers, you might be in the wrong place. So uh, let's get started for the day. We're going to get right into NFL talk. Uh, Phil, what happened this weekend? Well, I mean, if, you, if you're living under a rock, uh, it was Super Bowl 55 and holy smokes, it was a pretty good game. And I would have to say that we were technically both wrong because we said that uh, Kansas City was going to win. And in fact, Tampa Bay won 31 to uh, 9. And I did say that uh, I was going to bet on Tampa Bay. So I think I was like half right. But when I put down the actual number, I think I said like 27 for Casey. They scored nine points. So it was a better Super Bowl than like couple ones in the past. I don't know. What would you kind of think? I thought it was uh, an exciting Super Bowl just in the fact that something happened that most people didn't think was going to happen. Like they had a lot of people on the Kansas City uh, Chiefs putting up a lot of points against uh, the Buccaneers, but I don't think a lot of people had uh, the Bucks blowing out the Chiefs. And I don't think many people at all had uh, Patrick Mahomes not scoring a, a single touchdown. So, uh, yeah, it was quite the game. Um, the Buccaneers came out strong. Their defense looked unreal. They were uh, shutting down Kansas City left, right, and center, and it, it didn't seem like uh, they had any, any way to uh, shut down Tampa Bay. Uh, what, uh, what other details you got for us? Well, I mean, just from watching the game, you're right. Like, the defense looked amazing, you know, led by Devin White, eight tackles, four assisted tackles, and interception, also led by Winfield. You know, six tackles, one interception. He was covering Tyreek. I'm just like, well, I was watching it, and it lo- they looked lost. Kansas City looked lost. They looked like they got figured out. Um, Mahomes was running around the, the whole entire field every single play, like the minute it was snapped, right? It was just like, snap, get the ball, and then he's, he's out of the pocket. He had no protection, and, I mean, he lost his left tackle uh, the game before. And then they had to move the right tackle over to the left tackle. And, and you can clearly tell that that was an issue. And that's why linemen, or, and especially left tackles, are the second highest pay position because of stuff like that. I mean, you got to give Mahomes credit. He was playing on off turf toe. You can tell right away. He was limping from the first play. And he made those amazing throws and guys couldn't catch it. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite unreal. He was, like you said, running around all around the field trying to make a play out of nothing and You'd see him drop about 15 yards back and then just haul the football into uh, <laughs> the other end of the field to one of his receivers. But it, it just seemed that uh, even when he was performing these insane feats to get the throws off, that uh, his, his receivers just weren't there and they, they just weren't clicking. And I do agree with you. It's it's tough when uh, your, your uh, O-line isn't... Uh, performing up to expectations and you don't have the time to uh to make any of those plays yeah and then if you keep on like the Kansas City train I mean we talked about it last week how he had like 58 throws or something 50 throws for 68 he was 26 for 49 270 yards zero TDs and two interceptions this is probably by far one of the worst games he he's ever had and it happened to be in the Super Bowl which sucks I mean Kelsey had 133 yards uh, so, you know, that kind of was still there. Tyreek had a pretty off game, only 73 yards. And then, you know what? The penalties killed them. They had 11 penalties. They had 120 yards in penalties. That's like more than an entire uh, football field length. So, I mean, that's some of the reasons why 
you know, they lost. Um, you know, they didn't look good right away, especially on the defense. And then, you know, Matthew getting penalties and, and Ty- Tyran and Brady having that beef, which was really weird because I've never seen Brady uh, like that before. And it just shows you, you don't poke the bear. I mean, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. He was 21 for 29, 201 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and the MVP. That's Mahomes type numbers. Yeah, that's uh, one thing that uh, we can really comment on is uh, Tampa Bay showed up. They were playing really well. Brady had an amazing game. The Brady to uh, Gronk connection was there, which was weird seeing it after uh, Gronk signed. And it seemed like, yeah, he's going to be here and there catching a touchdown. And then boom, boom, catches two touchdowns in the Super Bowl and uh, shows how that uh, Brady to Gronk connection is pretty clutch. The, the two people who scored touchdowns in this game was Gronk two and Antonio Brown one. Yeah, and then Leonard Fournette with one as well. So it's yeah, literally one for him as well. Yes. Yeah, it, it's all these guys that Tampa Bay brought in just because they signed on to uh, to win a Super Bowl, and yeah, the, the the bet paid off. Like, it's it's exactly what they wanted to happen. I don't imagine how they expected it to happen, but uh, but it yeah. happened. Yeah, great day for uh, people who are Bucks fans. I know. Uh, my my roommate is a, an OG Buccaneers fan. He was uh, back in the day cheering for them when they were god awful before they got uh, Tampa Bay. So uh, or Tampa Bay before they got uh, <laughs> Tom Brady. But uh, yeah, shout out to Landry for uh, being a big Tampa Bay fan before everyone became a, a Tampa Bay fan and uh, stopped being a Patriots fan. You mean he wasn't a Patriots fan and then he was a Tampa fan? <laughs> no, it's surprisingly like uh, the rest of the uh, Tampa Bay fans right now. He actually uh, cheered for them when they were bad and just didn't chase greatness. Just one more thing I want to kind of note note on the uh, on the Bucks was they threw to everyone. I mean, Fournette had a great game. Playoff Lenny, 89 yards running, um, one touchdown, and then he had four receptions for 46 yards, which was second on the team. Gronk had 67 yards. Evans had 31 yards for only one reception. Godwin only had two receptions for nine yards. And then, you know, Brayton Brown also caught the ball. So, you know what? They had the pieces, and in the end, it it worked out for them. It was kind of funny reading, like, you know, Fournette wasn't on the team. Gronk and uh, Brady all weren't on the team. And Antonio Brown weren't on the team uh, last year, like during, like, March, May. And then they all – ended up on the team and, and then everyone called them for the Super Bowl. Then they had that bad November and it didn't really matter. I also kind of wanted to mention back on the defensive side, defense wins championships. And that's clearly what was shown there. They had 44 total pressures on Mahomes. And maybe if he didn't have turf toe, he might have had maybe some better stats. But I mean, I think in the end, they would have always lost because they couldn't even score a touchdown. Three field goals. and. Mahomes got sacked three times, which was, you know, he usually gets sacked maybe one time a game. And then on top of him not being able to run or throw the ball, they were third, three for 13 on third down. So all that stuff kind of mixed together is the reason why they lost. The other thing I want to kind of ask was, how did you think of the, the halftime show? I absolutely loved it. I thought the weekend put in uh, quite the show. Uh, I thought it was uh, really smart. Uh, 
the uh, the dancers that uh, they had all with the the masks and their faces entirely covered, kind of thrown back to that uh, plastic surgery thing the weekend did, but uh, also staying COVID safe. I, I thought it was uh, a really great show. You could see that the the man had pumped some money into it, and uh, yeah, I, I thought it was one of the better halftime shows I've actually seen. Me too. I mean, I'm a weekend fan, so I was a little biased, but he played all his hits. It was like an aesthetically pleasing show. And he used the whole field. They never use the whole field because they always have like all those, you know, people that come watch it. They're not even like in the stands, like the fake fans kind of watching the the little show that they put on. And I thought that was like 10 times better. And, you know, I was my eyes were just like on him the whole time, you know, shouting out Scarborough and oh, a yeah. uh, good Canadian kid. And I thought that just added to to the Super Bowl. Some really dank memes came out of it. Yes, especially the one when he's running in the in the hallway. Can we also just talk about the streaker quickly that uh, ran on the field? <laughs> Do you know the story of that? Uh, the one that uh, the streaker who had more yards than Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he actually got to the uh, the Kansas City end zone. And uh, did you hear about the the bet he had put down? Yeah, it was. Uh, what was it? He bet fifty k on plus seven fifty. Yeah, that there would be a streaker in the Super Bowl. He had uh, apparently preemptively planned for his buddy to bail him out when he would get arrested. And then, yeah, basically this guy decided to, uh, well, somehow was able to actually go see the Super Bowl this year. And then, yeah, decided that uh, he was going to place a bet that there would be a streaker on the field. That man himself decided to be the streaker. And then, yeah, he uh, went, got his buddy to bail him out. And then... uh, made uh, a few thousand dollars on uh, there being a streaker on the field. His buddy went first, and then all the security guards went after him. And then he went second, so he could actually make it on the field, and it counted as a streaker. So he had to pay $1,000. He made 374000 He made 375 minus 1000 for bailing himself out. And I believe it had to do with some Vitaly guy in his porn site. I, I don't really know too much about it. Um, but, man, I should have bet on that. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> if you can come up with a plan like that, and if if you uh, make a big chunk of change off that, like, hey, don't need to go to work anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you are a criminal, technically. Uh, yeah, I guess you would have a criminal record after that. and uh, Then you're not would... getting a job regardless. Yeah, yeah. And you, you are that guy. <laughs> Streaker guy. But, but, <laughs> but more into like the NFL news uh, past the Super Bowl was uh, the Hall of Fame. So unlike the MLB, they actually uh, you know inducted some people this year. And I uh, just wanted to shout out Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Megatron. Actually, fun stat about that is between Brady's third Super Bowl appearance and his 10th Super Bowl appearance, the um, Calvin Johnson was drafted, retired, and put into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, also on the, the people who inducted, Drew Pearson, your boy from the Cowboys, Alan uh, Fansea, Bill Nunn, John Lynch, and Tom Flores. So unfortunately, my, uh, my boy Zach Thomas and the Dolphins didn't make it. So fingers crossed for next year. And then they also had the NFL Honors. So I'm just going to tell you who won the awards and, you know, most of them are pretty much like, okay, cool. That guy deserved it. But there was one where, I don't know, it looked like it was a little bit of a snub. So for the uh, offensive rookie of the year, you have Justin Herbert from the Chargers, 
28 passing touchdowns is a record. Uh, defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young. Um, you kind of got to watch him play against the Cowboys twice this year. What do you think about him? Oh, he looked good. Uh, he's the player that makes uh, me want Dallas to take a defensive player this year in the draft. Uh, yeah, he was all over our uh, offense, and uh, it got annoying hearing his name uh, over and over and over <laughs> taking us down. Yeah, he played a great first year. I mean, he had seven and a half sacks, four f- forced fumbles, and uh, three f- fumble recoveries. For the uh, offensive player of the year, you got Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards. That's self-explanatory. For the comeback player of the year, also self-explanatory, Alex Smith, coming back from that gruesome injury and actually playing and you know winning games for the Redskins. Oh, my God. For the Washington football team, my bad. Uh, coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski from the Browns. Obviously, the Browns made the playoffs again. You kind of got to give him credit there. And then assistant coach of the year was uh, Brian Dable, which is the uh, Bills um, offensive coordinator. And then last but not least, the defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. So this is where the uh, controversy comes in. Um, a lot of people think that uh, TJ Watt should have won. And then, of course, me being you know biased Dolphin fan, I think Xavier Howard should have won because he only got three votes. So Aaron Donald had 41 tackles, 13 and a half sacks, 12 t- tackles for a loss, and four four fumbles. TJ Watt had 53 tackles, 15 sacks, 23 tackles for a loss, two forced fumbles and interceptions. So if you could understand that TJ Watt literally had better stats than him in every single category, minus the forced fumbles and he lost. Yeah. That, that kind of seems like one of those things where uh, obviously Aaron Donald is one of, if not the best defensive player in the league, but uh, yeah, it, it seems to be one of those situations where you kind of, fall back on a guy if voting gets close or it's 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 that recency bias like you see Aaron Donald being the 99 overall in Madden year in year out and uh yeah it's probably one of those things where they just went back and went with the uh tried and true which is unfortunate when you have a player like uh TJ Watts caliber coming in and it's going to be great player defense okay but like on top of that they then then you have Xavier and Howard so last year uh, the defensive player of the year was Gilmore, who plays the same position as Howard, uh, mm-hmm. free safety. And he had six picks, 20 pass deflected and 49% completion. Howard had 10 picks, which was the first time that's happened with double digits in a couple years. Mm-hmm. 20 pass deflections and 54% completion. He only got three votes. So you have one side last year where, you know, this guy wins it on those stats. And then someone who has better stats or just as well, just as good, and he only gets three votes. I don't know. There's there's something fishy about that. And you know, just being a Dolphins fan, I just kind of had to like shout him out. He was on the worst Dol- Dolphins defense last year, and one of the best this year. So I just think that he should have got at least some more um, votes. And he could have him and TJ should have been up more closer than uh, TJ and Aaron. But you know, that's just my opinion. And who am I, right? <laughs> no, I'd have to agree with you though. If if you're going to to stats at the end of the day for for voting, like it's it's got to be. Uh, well, what else are you gonna go after? It's it's all it should all be about stats. Nothing about who, Madden how rating. good the guy is. Yeah, Jesus, Madden rating and and how good they look and and popularity. And if you they know, play, I'm not play and made the playoffs. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting fired up because like it still cheese me. Like first, Dak Thomas doesn't get in. Then this guy doesn't even get like a sniff at the defensive player of the year with a great thing, great numbers. So, you know what? 
it's just an award. The biggest award is the Super Bowl, and uh, and that just happened. And uh, Tampa Bay is the uh, the winners. Absolutely, yeah. You got Tampa Bay going on, winning two of the big four championships, with uh, L.A. winning the other two, and Tampa not having an NBA team. But the Raptors actually uh, playing in Tampa Bay, so maybe we'll get another Tampa Bay championship this year because the uh, <laughs> the Raps are looking all right. And the Rays made the final of the World Series. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it's fate. We're gonna have a Raptors final confirmed. Going on the Tampa Raptors front, let's kind of chat about them. I mean, they're eleven and thirteen, eighth in the East. Uh, they're six and four in their last ten, and last week they went two and one. I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah, I thought they had some uh, pretty good uh, performances. Uh, their game against the uh, the Nets, even though they had uh, all that uh, KD in the game, out of the game, taken, put on COVID precaution. <laughs> called it some whack-ass PR tactics. But, uh, yeah, the uh, Raps were able to win that game 123-117. They followed it up with an outing against the uh, Atlanta Hawks, which, unfortunately, they dropped 121-132. Uh, and then they recently, on uh, the 8th, they had a game against the Grizzlies that they were able to uh, win 128-113. So it's kind of that uh, win one, lose one, but they seem to be racking up two wins instead of the the one they're on the uh the better side of that so uh, if they can get a, a good long streak going like what the jazz are doing right now if uh, if we could get somewhat like that for the raps i think they'll they'll be smooth sailing well let's go back to that memphis vancouver grizzlies game nurse got ejected they had no og kyle played seven minutes because he had back spasms they were down and then they came back and i think that was the kind of the game that they were missing I mean, a lot of games last year, they were down and they came back. And then this year they were down and they just can't seem to get back. And I just thought they just played a great, you know, second half of the game. Nothing like a good comeback. And kind of excited for their next four games. So they play the Wizards tonight. So that's against Russell Westbrook. They're 14th in the East. Then they play the Celtics, 4th in the East. Then they play the T-Wolves, 15th in the West. And then the Bucks 2nd in the East. So they got four games next week are in between you know our segment so i think you know they got they have to win tonight and they have against the wizards and they have to win against the t-wolves i don't know if they can beat the celtics and bucks but hey you know og's kind of questionable now uh utah Wantanabe is also questionable so once they get healthy just like how we were saying this it takes some time and they're the raptors they're just gonna you know keep fighting and clawing and then they're gonna get better and improve and, and that's all we can kind of hope for I absolutely agree with you there, uh, especially those two matchups against the Celtics and the Bucks. I'm really interested to see. I know the Celtics right now have uh, been missing a couple players here and there. Marcus Smart's out of their lineup right now, which is uh, a huge hit to them, but they seem to have not really uh, missed a beat. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I know Celtics seem to have the Raps number recently, so that'll be uh, a good matchup. And then of course you've got the bucks with uh, Giannis. They seem to be the, uh, the ones to beat in the East uh, year in, year out right now. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting next few games. Uh, I think the Raptors have a chance to, well, at least a chance to win all of them, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. Wizards and T-Wolves should be shoe-ins, but uh, the Celtics and the Bucks, if they can uh, get it clicking, then uh 
maybe we can go on a little run. Exactly. And I know they just got to stay healthy. Um, I know they're battling out there. So we'll kind of give you a little Raptors update next week to see how those four games went. But there's a little little bit of NBA news. So you were mentioning to me off uh, off mic that uh, the Mavs weren't playing the anthem. Yes. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks have decided to refrain from playing the national anthem uh, before games. And uh, Oh, you haven't heard. You didn't hear, eh? The NBA recently responded to it. Oh, you did hear. I did hear. Yes, I, I saw on... Uh, on the way back today, uh, yeah, that uh, the NBA told them this was uh, unacceptable and that all teams were expected to play the anthem before games. But uh, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting because uh, you actually have Mark Cuban backing up the uh, the Mavericks and uh, standing behind them. So it might be an interesting uh, owner versus the NBA uh, situation. Unfortunately, no. He said he's going to stick with the NBA policy. Um, that's what I, that's what I, yeah, I, I know, I know. I kind of always wanted, you know, someone to fight the, fight the man, but yeah, they're, he said he's going to comply with the NBA. So it was kind of weird. Like we read all this stuff and then, you know, the actual kind of news came out that, um, who's the, who's the commissioner, Adam Silver? Yes. Yes. He came on saying it, it, we need every team to, it's a policy that every team plays the anthem. And so then Mark Cuban said that they will do it. So, you know, no, no fighting there. Nothing too crazy about that. It was just nice to see them kind of sticking up for, you know, for the people and then having that kind of shown, sh- sh- thrown in their face. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was there was a trade. I don't even want to talk about it because I know nothing about it. I just wanted to say that the Pistons are receiving Dennis Smith Jr. and a future second, and the Knicks are getting Derrick Rose back. Derrick Rose, wait, to the Knicks? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This will be interesting. Again, again. <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. Dennis Smith was part of the uh, Porzingis trade. Ah, with all that return that they got. But for the unicorn. For the unicorn. Uh, D. Rose has, uh, I mean, former MVP. The the man, if he can stay healthy, he's been a, a good player. Um, the Knicks have always been a, uh, although the most valued organization, they've been uh, taken care of interestingly by their their owner james dolan and uh i i hope d rose can come in i hope he has success in new york and uh i'd love to see uh him pop off there i i agree and um moving on to kind of a big signing in the uh the world of baseball the dodgers sign reigning nl cy young winner trevor bauer to a three-year 102 million dollar contract yeah i've got it's a it's an mlb record uh 40 million dollars that he's going to be receiving this season so he's going to be the highest paid player in the mlb and uh he also has opt-outs on his contract after 2021 and uh the 2022 season so it seems like almost uh one of those structured basketball contact contracts where you get uh all your money up front and then by the uh, the third year, if you're not feeling it for that team, or if you want to sign for even more money, you can already get started on that extension, or you can jump ship. Yeah, I saw forty million in twenty one and forty five in twenty two, and classic Dodgers just buying whoever they want, whenever they want, you know. But they're buying someone who won the Cy Young on uh, one point seven three ERA last year, 
I mean, he only played 11 games. He's a career 390. Um, he has some trouble, you know, with social media and whatnot. But I think they're they're getting a certified ball player, and I think they're looking for another uh, World Series. Maybe they uh, won't get cheated out of another one. Yeah, they they look like a team that could go back to back, and they they just they're retooling. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dodgers close to the uh, if not in the World Series again this year. Like that that team is just so strong, and they've got even stronger. <laughs> Thank God he's in the NL, not the AL. <laughs> Don't have to face him till the finals. Exactly. Love it. But, I mean, baseball is uh, not really starting at the moment, so there's only a few kind of major things that have been happening. So it's the best time to move to hockey time. Hockey time, the best time of the pod. Um, I guess I'll start with a COVID report to start the, uh, the uh, hockey section right now. We've got... So a bunch of games have uh, been postponed. Um, we have three New Jersey Devils games, the uh, February 11th, 13th, and 15th. They are now five games postponed with 16 players on the uh, COVID list. We've got uh, two Buffalo games, the 11th and 13th, with several players on the COVID list and six games postponed so far. Uh, two Minnesota games, February 11th and 13th. They're moving on to five games postponed. And we actually had a Philadelphia game uh, against Washington, February 9th, that was postponed uh, due to a uh, couple members of their uh, teams testing positive. So that puts us at 34 total postponed games this season in the NHL. But uh, to combat that, they are adding more day of testing, family tracing and i know you'd mentioned they took out the glass behind the benches yeah um i'm not sure why but uh they thought it was a reason to kind of let more airflow in and uh just based on what you were saying before i mean as of february 9th there was 48 players on that covid 19 protocol list you said 16 to the devils but i, I think on the 9th it was 19 yeah i think 19 players that is that's a team that's an entire team. And the other thing I wanted to mention was, I don't know, you think you think the NHL should take a break? Yeah, I. Uh, it's nice right now because the North Division hasn't been touched because uh, the COVID protocols in Canada seem to be a lot stricter than that of the, the U.S. And the U.S. is state by state, Canada's province by province. You, you get more opinions when you have 50 states, essentially, right? So uh, I think the best case scenario right now would be a two-week shutdown, although it will be pushing the schedule of the NHL, which is already fairly compact. I think it's the best way. It's almost like doing a reset or a bye week, except you do the back-to-back bye week. You have the two weeks, so any players infected uh, have the chance to quarantine for two weeks. It gives all the teams a rest, and then I think you got to go with the stricter rules similar to the bubble, uh, I don't think it's going to be exact same as the bubble because obviously we can't just bubble up now for the rest of the regular season when you have teams moving. But uh, the uh, the NHL has also mentioned they are considering delaying the 2021 NHL entry draft and instead doing back-to-back drafts in 2022. Um, I think this would tie in well with it because if if you're pushing the schedule anyways and you don't have to schedule the draft with a ton of players that 
aren't going to have stats this year because they haven't gotten the chance to play. Um, yeah, I, I think you're, you're working with what you got. If it's in the best interest and the safety of the players for games that you're going to end up rescheduling or pushing anyways, take the two weeks off, reset, figure out what Canada's doing because Canada hasn't really had any problems yet with the North Division. Follow those protocols, make sure the players are following protocols, and start back up in two weeks. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you uh, just based on the fact that the North Division doesn't have any. So I think they may, like like you said, they kind of have to mimic them and copy them. But if you're kind of looking at the COVID-19 protocol list, I think the East Division should maybe take a break because they have three teams. Two of them have nine, 19, and three players on it. Uh, on the list, you know, Central only had one team, Chicago. They had two players. And then the West Division had Minnesota that kind of got hit hard, but the Avs only had three. So I kind of don't think that a break should be that great. I mean, you know, the Leafs are kind of rolling. So I think that <laughs> might kind of stop them. And if the North Division keeps going, by the time that these teams um, kind of finish their season, all the North Division teams will have a nice little break into the playoffs. So Oilers and Leafs will have a nice little break. That's just how I think it's going to work out if they kind of, you know, tell one division that, you know, you guys have like three teams and like, 25 players that you know are, are on the COVID-19 protocol list doesn't mean they have COVID that means they might have it or they might be in the same uh they might have contact tracing mm-hmm. and then to go on your other point about the double draft I I think they should still have a draft this year all these kids have been getting looked at since they were 16 guys know what they're kind of doing so you know, scouts kind of know what they're looking for and have kind of looked last year. And, and you know, there's guys that scout for, for the year after. So, in my opinion, I think they should just, you know, keep the keep it on the same kind of schedule so that the bottom teams like Ottawa and Detroit can, can still draft a player this year and maybe he can play on their team next year. Because if, if, if they're both in the next year, then I don't think it really helps those, those bottom feeder teams. Okay. And, yeah, no, I... I, I agree with you there um i think these uh teams that are finishing in the bottom of the league are definitely going to need to be rewarded not rewarded is the wrong word but you you get what i mean where like they're going to need the the help from the draft i just my big thing is is the the time frame and the schedule right because uh the nhl wants to get the the next season on time and started but uh with the amount of postponement and the amount of uh, games being lost, they've already talked about uh, the possibility of even shortening the schedule for the, the American teams. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting situation when you've got teams like uh, Arizona and St. Louis have played each other, what the last four games, last five games straight out of necessity. But when you stop having those matchups available like we're, we're one month into the season right if this is how hard the COVID protocols are, are hitting teams right now where we've got what four or five teams out not playing right now if it spreads more or if you can't nip it in the bud what are we going to be saying when we have 10 teams out what are we going to say when we have 12 teams out and I know it's a bridge we're going to have to cross when we get to it but uh I don't know I I, I think it's it's a it's a delicate situation. Yeah, and I think they don't know what's going. You know, they don't. They they're not fortune tellers, so they can't tell what's going on. They're trying to kind of please people, but I don't know. I think these lockdowns are kind of helping. You know, the teams in the north. I mean, Oilers can't go out. 
maybe now, right? Maybe the restrictions are up now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Leafs can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, there's we've been, we've been locked up in in Toronto and in Peel and and basically all of Ontario since December twenty sixth. So I don't know. I mean, it's getting kind of sick and tired of talking about COVID. But I mean, we're gonna probably talk about it every single week because at this rate, new new players and new teams are gonna are contract it. Yeah. Uh, on a more positive note, the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes, please. <laughs> Penguins finally hired a GM and a president of hockey ops. And uh, let me tell you, it's on. Quick, 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 clowning around, <laughs> it's on. We got Ron Hextall as the next Pittsburgh Penguins uh, GM, which I thought was a, uh, <laughs> a big middle finger to the Philadelphia Flyers. But. Uh, Hextall wants to win, and uh, he brought along Brian Burke, who uh, is now the president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins as, as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Phil? I mean, let's start with the GM. Obviously, yeah, I thought it was funny that you know a Flyers legend goaltender was uh, was coming to, to to GM the Pittsburgh Penguins, their rival. But you're looking at a guy with 20 years of experience in management. I mean, he was the assistant general manager at LA. And he was the GM of the Flyers. And I just think that he's kind of the perfect fit for them. And now on to the president of Hockey Ops. I'm a huge Berkey fan. Huge Berkey fan. Maybe not when he was GM of the Leafs. Too much. Probably more than most, especially the media. But I'm actually reading his book right now. And just he's a beauty. He tells, he tells you how it is. But he has 31 years of experience. So they're getting 50 years of experience for, from management of these two guys. Uh, Brian Burke was GM of the Whalers, the Canucks, the Leafs, and obviously the Stanley Cup champion Anaheim Ducks. And he was president of Hockey Ops for the Flames. And I just think that, you know, he was doing a great job on Sportsnet and he's, he was awesome. Um, just kind of telling it how it is and just having a straight face and looking like a old man yells at clouds. But I think he he'd never – he always wanted to kind of go back into the game. Like he wasn't really done – he has a different way of thinking. You know, he likes a tougher sport. And so I think it's really great for them because they're going to be working in tandem together. So now the question I have for you is, what what happens to the future of Malkin, Crosby, and Latang now? I think, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, a situation they're going to have to look at uh, what they have in-house right now. Um, I know Brian Burke himself, uh, they were talking to him and he was saying, initially that he didn't think this Pittsburgh Penguins team would make the playoffs this year. And now it's uh, his job to make sure they make the playoffs this year. So I think uh, they'll probably go for it this year. And then I think it's, it's a year that uh, you go for it and then you reassess uh, depending on how Pittsburgh does this year. If they make the playoffs, how far they make it into the playoffs, what kind of moves you'd be making. Um, yeah, you're 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 gonna go for one more kick at the can, and then depending on this year, I think is when you start having those conversations. Like if if Pittsburgh misses the playoffs, I think you start having those conversations with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, talking about uh, if we're gonna go into rebuild mode. Do you guys are you in or out? But I think I think if it's anyone, it's Malkin or Latang. I mean, Crosby still has four years left. I think Malkin and Latang have one or two, so I could see maybe them moving. Um, the other thing, someone kind of told Brian Burke, why are you doing this? You're going into like a, a minefield, you know, you're going into a shit team, no prospects. And he, he basically said, I'm going to a team that I trust the GM, I trust the coach, I have pieces, and I get to just kind of do what I want. 
and you know he's kind of put together some you know amazing deals and trades and teams over the years so i think he's kind of excited for that i mean i think the hockey world is excited to see what what they're going to have in store uh they're they're also starting this year not you know they're starting not halfway but they're starting in when the season started right and not like not like they both had any plans from before like they didn't get to like basically prepare so I wouldn't say this is a wash, but I think this is more like, okay, let's get through this year, let's make the playoffs, and then next year they can, like, trade whoever they want or, or you know, kind of make those really big moves and then still go for it because they can definitely go for it next year. I mean, Carlsby's playing great. Then they got to figure out their little goalie tandem, and, and, and then that's it. Yeah, I, I just find it uh, interesting with uh, Rutherford leaving allegedly because he wasn't allowed to make moves, and then Burt coming in because he will be allowed to make moves. So it, <laughs> I guess it's just uh, depending on the, the scenario and the situation. Uh, but uh, we had uh, a retirement out of the blue in the NHL. Did you see uh, Miko Koivu decided to uh, hang up his skates and uh, call it a career? I did. Saku's brother, Miku, retired after 16 years. So he played 15 years in Minnesota, and then he signed with uh, Columbus, and he only played seven games. And do you know why he he retired? So I, I don't know if he had listed uh, any official reason. Um, if I had to speculate, I would say either A, playing time, or B, due to pandemic issues like covid how you had players like niskin and say nope i'm done sort of i mean he did kind of come out i think it was in the last couple of days he said he couldn't get into a rhythm and he wasn't he didn't have the feeling he had on the ice he didn't have that same feeling so i think it's one of those scenarios where he just he just had enough you know it was, he knew he knew it was the end um he you know he got scratched on monday so he played seven games for them. He got a goal and assist. Then he was scratched, and I think he just kind of woke up and was just like, "I'm, I'm not down to to, to push myself this hard every day." I mean, it's a tough sport, mm-hmm. right? So I think that was kind of the reason where he was just like, "You know what? I think I'm done." And it probably took him a lot longer than he like knew about. Like he probably knew about it, and he tried to fight it, go through another season, and and then it just didn't really uh, work out in his favor, but. Hell of a career, 206 goals, 505 assists, 1,000 uh, games, 1,035. Man, got so his He hit that 1K mark. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. Biz would have loved that. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's loved in Minnesota. He was their captain. He was a first-round six overall pick in 2001, and he, he did nothing but, you know, help that team throughout their whole entire existence. So got to wish uh, Miko Koivu nothing but the best. He'll probably be a – Probably be in the game still. He'll he'll now. get hired for a desk job in uh, Minnesota. You watch. <laughs> I just uh, I find it hilarious. Years back when uh, Miko Koivu actually was offered the chance to play with his brother in Anaheim and uh, turned it down to re-sign with Minnesota because he loved the team so much. See, that's a team player. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like you were saying, uh, hockey's a, a tough sport. The NHL is one of the toughest leagues not just to crack but to stay in and uh yeah it's one of those things if uh you wake up one day and you're you're thinking you're done well chances are you were probably done a little bit more than that if you don't think you can do it anymore then uh yeah it's time to hang them up yeah i think it happens to i think it's happened to a couple guys before you know they they all they know is hockey they've been playing hockey since they were four 
and it kind of takes them a while just to to get through you know their stubborn head that the acceptance and and then it's time yeah but moving on to players that want to play let's talk about our boy patrick line he got benched in the final 26 minutes versus carolina on monday in his fourth game with uh columbus and uh apparently he was mouthing off to the assistant coach and then they then they sat him yeah no i i saw that as well i actually uh Noticed it after the game, and uh, they they came out. Line said that uh, yeah, it was uh, just a a little uh, tiff that he got into with the the assistant coach. And uh, I don't know if you know this about uh, Tortorella teams, but uh, you don't talk back to Tortorella. You don't pa- talk back to the assistant coaches uh, if you want to play hockey. Short and simple. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, and like. Okay, he's three goals and he's minus three in the four games he's played. So not horrible. That's great. He's scoring like like they want him to. And I just think it was my probably a little minor mistake. He's not used to playing in Columbus. So maybe he got to mouth off in Winnipeg, but it's a no-no here. And basically they said, you know, Torch is like, you guys read into this too much. He's like, this is a, this is a team issue, locker room issue. and it's, So the next game he plays, he, it's, it's going to be not an issue. Yeah, it seemed like a, almost like a mid-game healthy scratch where you kind of scratch a player to teach him a lesson and then it's, it's over the next day. But can we talk about the same trade? So Roslovich comes over. This guy's been on fire. He has seven points in seven games. He has two goals, five assists, and he scored the beauty of a goal the other night. Yeah, he's he's looked great. You can tell he's uh, he's a Columbus boy himself. Uh, he's he's from Ohio, so uh, you can see he's he's happy to be home. He's liking the team he's playing for, and it, it, he's really grooving. He's he's been scoring quite a bit, and uh, he's playing in a higher role in Columbus than he was ever playing in uh, Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, he looks like <laughs> he looks like the best player in the trade right now. <laughs> Exactly, because I mean, you can't really talk too much shit though. Like Pierre Pierre Luc Dubois only played one mm-hmm. game because of uh, COVID protocol and the quarantining, so he just played his first game and he had thirteen ten of ice time, negative one zero points. I think you know you can't really say anything after that. I mean, he just kind of haven't hasn't really practiced or played with the team, so we don't really know who's won this trade. But at the moment, it's looking like uh, Columbus at the moment, and it's not because of Line. <laughs> Yeah, and I know for uh, Dubois, they, his uh, his coach in Winnipeg, uh, Paul Maurice, said, said that the the first game is just for him to get his bearings and stuff. They weren't really counting on on anything or or uh, counting anything against him for that first game. So I, I think once he gets settled into his role in Winnipeg, you'll you'll see hopefully the offense come and uh, it'll it'll look like a lot better of a trade for Winnipeg as well. I agree. And uh, speaking of Winnipeg and uh, you know Canadian teams. Team Canada for the Beijing 2022 Olympics has uh, they announced their um, their manager. So they had GM Doug Armstrong, assistant GM our boy Kenny Holland, Ron Francis, Roberto Lalongo, Scott Salmond, and D Sweeney. Yeah, it's uh, quite the uh, all-star studded uh, staff of uh, the Team Canada uh, managers, and uh, as Team Canada usually does. Uh, Armstrong had actually been quoted saying that he's not picking an all-star team for Team Canada this year, and they're planning on having players that can touch every facet, the penalty kill, power play, and five-on-five, and that they will be asking players to play out of position this year. 
Yeah, I saw that too, and I kind of was like, great, you know, something different. Usually it's just an all-star team. But I remember, I think in the 2010 team, they had Brandon Morrow, and he had that grit and that strength, that hitting that kind of uh, helped them in that tournament. So I know that we kind of talked uh, before last week, but you asked me to put together a mm-hmm. team, and I did. And I'm I'm actually interested to hear what you think of my team, and I'm interested to see what you kind of pick okay. for your team. Let me go first, though. Um, for goalies, I had Carter Hart, Carey Price, and Bennington. Um, I, it's got to be between Hart and Price for me. So I kind of put Hart at the moment because he's younger. And then for the D, I had Shea Theodore, Kale McCarr, my boy Morgan Riley, Alex Petrangelo, Thomas Shabbat. And then I couldn't decide between Hamilton or Doughty. So I kind of put them both. And then for my forwards, this is a, Maybe surprising, but my first line is Crosby, Bergeron, Marchand. I got second line, I got McDavid, McKinnon, and Marner. Third line, Tavares, Stamkos, Point. And then I have O'Reilly, Stone, Barzell. What do you think? I like that lineup. Um, I, myself, for my, my first line, I, I've got uh, McKinnon, Crosby, and Marchand, just because I want to have the Cole Harbor line. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I think you've you've got uh, some good picks for that team. Um, a lot of young talent, which I think the uh, Team Canada is going to look at. Uh, your three goalie selections. I was surprised with the uh, Carter Hart selection. I know uh, that uh, a lot of people have been uh, slotting him to, to make the team, but I actually had Marc-Andre Fleury as my third goalie instead of uh, Carter Hart. For your for your forwards, I had pretty much uh, the the same guys uh, taken. Um, I had uh, as well on my list. Interestingly enough, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a possible selection. Now, hear me out on this one. Um, he's a defensive forward, underrated. He is a player who's already played with Connor McDavid. And I think if you're going to go similar to the strategy that you had the year that uh, Kunitz was taken for the Olympic team to play specifically with Crosby because he makes Crosby better, I think you have to take the the same thing. If you want to have these uh, pairs of players that have played before or have trained together before, I think you could throw a player like Nuge on the the wing with uh, McDavid. I didn't even have him on, like... My like mentioned right mentions coming list. in with the hot takes today. What's so uh, give it give it to us straight. So my first line, I'm going Harbor line. I think on that too, actually. But I thought you can't really break up Crosby and Bergeron. They've been playing together since 2005. Mm, so that's true. The the Crosby Bergeron connection, but you also have the Marshawn Bergeron connection then too, right? If you want to do duos or pairs. Three of them played together in, in the World ah, Cup. So then you slot. And Marsh, Marsh yeah, Marshawn was hot that tournament. True. Too. So then you'd slot McKinnon on the second line with McDavid. Complement each other really well. And, like, someone has to – like, you can't have nine centers. So McKinnon has to play I, right wing. Because Marner plays left. I, I think, unfortunately, for this tournament, most of your forwards are going to be centers in uh, typical Team Canada fashion. Amcos, then? board and kind of hot yeah exactly no i i think uh flurry's been there before he's been a th- third goalie ironically for a uh gold medal team already but uh i think you get the uh the kind of uh 
leadership there. He's a three-time Stanley Cup champion. He showed he still has it in uh, in Vegas. Uh, he seems to be <laughs> working at being Vegas's starter a little bit uh, stronger than Leonard's doing right now. And I, I know we're we're looking at uh, 2022, but uh, I think Fleury will still be in the NHL, and I think he'll still be one of the strongest goalies then. I was next to Tavares with points, so I had the kind of Tampa. Mm-hmm. Tampa kind of connection. I think Tavares might go with Stamkos mm-hmm. if he makes the team. I had some big boys, so I put Stone and O'Reilly, and then I I saw Barzell on the list, and I was like, yeah, he's he, this yeah. kid's a stud. You're gonna have a fast team. You're gonna have a big team, and picked like we could have picked like a, a completely different team, and it would still be the top well, that, player. It, in the well, NHL. you're looking to that that list uh, snubs Taylor Hall as well, again from the Olympics. I liked I liked your lines. You had a lot of the the same guys as me. It was just where they'd be slotting. Your defense, I had pretty much the exact same names that I'm looking at right now. Uh, I snubbed a bunch of guys, but I tried to stay away from like the older heads because at, at this rate, at 2022, I don't want 35, 36. But what if they're the best 35, 36 year olds in the game? Okay, uh, that's fair. Weber, no. <laughs> you good. don't want that slap shot that goes through nets. Not from anyone else. True, and you've got. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's true. At the end of the day, no matter what we say, it's it's not like they're gonna take our uh, opinions into consideration. Anxious, anxious to hear the players' names. So let's see who got the same and who's different. Okay, so I'm gonna do Crosby, Marshawn, McKinnon. For my first line. And uh, my second line, I'm going to do McDavid. I'm going to throw Nuge on there. And then I'm going to throw Damkos on my right wing. For the... Um, I guess that's going to drop Bergeron to third line, which I don't think he's used to playing. And fourth line... I like that Stone O'Reilly pairing. I really like that Stone O'Reilly pairing, so I'm going to keep that together. And then I guess you have to kind of have Tavares and Shifley on the other wing, right? And I, yeah. Ooh, Shifley might yeah, be good. I missed right? that. And like, I like Tavares as a player. He's coming, he's scored a lot. Maybe you kind of have those guys cycle in and out for that wing. If he's playing on this Team Canada team, it's not to score. It's to win face-offs, to play defense, penalty kill. Um, maybe not penalty kill, but just play defense, and he's a big, strong guy. So that's how I kind of see him playing in, in So maybe round team. out that fourth line, O'Reilly, Stone, and Tavares then. Wingers, Phil. I'm running out of wingers. <laughs> we'll get... We got Point, Barzell, Stone, Marner. My boy, yeah, Marner's yeah, making the team. Come yeah, on, we'll, you know we're going to put Mitch Marner. On his one wing, brain point on his other. Nice, yeah. <laughs> for for your too. fourth line. <laughs> <laughs> teams, teams dream for that. And what so you got defense, defense? Um, I got my boy Kill McCarr, first and foremost. Obs. Obviously. Um, mm-hmm. He's shooting right, hey? He's right. Yeah, he's right. Is Hamilton a lefty? Righty. 90% of my defensemen I have here are righties. Me too. I don't know. Right too, but you know what? They can play. 
right shot. Yeah, it's true. Side. When you got some of the best in the game, it doesn't really matter. So let's put, uh, let's do Makar and Dowdy for my first pairing. Um, my second pairing, we'll do Morgan Riley and Thomas Shabbat because it would be hilarious to have an Ottawa defenseman right next to a uh, Toronto defenseman. <laughs> <laughs> The, the Ontario, Ontario line, line, exactly, right? All of my lines have themes. And then I'm going to put Dougie Hamilton with Colton Pareko, with my extra defenseman being uh, Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. Uh, Petrangelo is kind of tough. Don't know how he has been playing for Vegas this season because he's one of the players who's been out. Um, I think he is one of the more gifted defensemen in the game. And I know he also used to pair with Colton Pareko. So that's another thing where if you're looking for duos, you're looking for the pairs. I know uh, one of the previous things they'd done for the Olympics is when they had the the shark line, when they had that uh, Heatley, Marlowe, Thornton line in uh, 2010 that seemed to not be able to be stopped. So I think if, if, you've, if you've got the... Uh, the talent already and you've got those guys that have played together if you want to keep those duos together even though my entire forward line breaks most of those up except Nugent McDavid I think it's uh it's a smarter move and then for my goalies I've got Carey Price as the starter obviously uh Binnington and Marc-Andre Fleury rather than Carter Hart pretty pretty sweet team and I, I kind of love how we have some similar players and some different players so I mean, when they announced the team, we'll, I also, we'll see who had more right. I also noticed we just wrong. snubbed Jonathan Huberdeau. <laughs> no, get that out of here. No, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's too many other guys. When, uh... I was also basing it off of, like, what they said, right? I'm mm-hmm. not, we're not, you know, we're building the team differently, and so I tried to build the mm-hmm. team differently. And now for everyone's favorite report, I like to call it the YYZ, the YEG report, a.k.a. the Leafs Oilers report. So I'll kind of start it off right now with the hottest team in the NHL and the hottest team in the North Division. That is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are a 10-2-1. They went 3-0-0 last week and they played all three games versus Vancouver. They had 15 goals for and five against. So honestly, they played some good hockey. I don't think Vancouver played uh, that well, especially in the first game. But, you know, as a Leaf fan and, you know, living in Toronto, well, Mississauga, for, for your whole life, this is kind of something that we don't see a lot. So I think Leaf fans should just be just be happy with, uh, with how it is all happening right now. They're playing good hockey. Um, you know, obviously there's, there could be some improvements, but they're beating top teams. So next week, though, is kind of the, the – a tough task so they play Montreal twice so that's the second place team in the North Division and then they play Ottawa twice so I don't even want to talk about Ottawa they should get two wins against them but uh, you know one of their losses this season is from Ottawa so uh, they can't uh, play against them lightly but I just wanted to mention just like how well you know we always talk about Leon and Connor but I think we got to talk about Matthews and Marner a little bit too Marner has 21 points. He's third in the league. He's behind the two Oilers guys. And Matthews has 11 goals. He's first in the league, and he scored in eight straight games. And Dalton, you don't get to watch them that much, but what have you seen so far from those two, uh, those two players? Yeah, I, I've seen that uh, the Leafs are looking quite strong this year, uh, especially uh, that uh, connection between uh, Marner's and Matthews. Uh, they're looking... Really good. Matthews has scored pretty much every single game, so 
I guess you, you can't really complain about that if you're a Leafs fan. But, uh, yeah, as long as they can keep it up and uh, keep it up defensively. Like you said, they've got that big game against Ottawa coming up. <laughs> well, tonight they have the big game against Montreal. And, you know, that will really, you know, if they win, that will really help them in the standings, kind of, you know, cement them a little little bit higher than them. Uh, Dermot's back from uh, missing two games. So they'll be dressing 12 forwards and 60 instead of uh, 70 that they did the last game. And the only bad news from, you know, Leafland is Wayne Simmons. He's been playing so great, you know, five goals. He's on the first power play, but he's out six weeks with a broken wrist. I think he blocked a shot. So that's a that's a little low blow. Um, I could talk about the Leafs all day, but to be honest, you know, they just need to keep playing this way. Their their power play is, is on fuego, so they got to keep that up. And honestly, it's nice to see, you know, our two highest paid players, um, just actually playing up to their contracts. And if they keep this up, man, I don't know, they could be fighting Leon and, and Connor for the uh, for the Art Ross and for the heart. And speaking of the Edmonton Oilers, we have our Oilers report. So uh, we actually just got Mike Smith back for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Oilers recently lost uh, Troy Grosnick back to the Kings via waivers. Uh, however, we have... Two healthy goalies right now, which is a nice thing to see. Koskinen and uh, Smith backing him up. And uh, we were able to get Smith in net this week. So first uh, and foremost, we had the Battle of Alberta on February 6th. Uh, it was an interesting game with the Oilers uh, out shooting the Flames in the first period. Uh, Jujar Kara was able to score his first of the season. And uh, they led 2-1 at the end of one. But... Uh, the second period was a little bit different. We had the Calgary Flames coming in a bit stronger, taking the league, the lead. And the uh, third period, where uh, unfortunately uh, the Oilers battled hard, but uh, it came out to a, a 6-4 Flames win. Uh, do you have any comments on that one, Phil? Yeah. I mean, it was on Hockey Night in Canada. It was after the Leafs game. I was super excited for the, the first battle of Alberta. And I was so, like stoked with the first period i mean the the oilers were out shooting them 17 to 3 you thought it would be a, a, a runaway but calgary you know finished in the last two periods very strong um they finished with 28 shots so obviously they they got a lot in those those last two periods and those quick goals came back to to hurt the oilers but i also want to say i'm super excited that mike smith is back uh, just a little normalcy back on the team uh koskin doesn't have to play every game now and uh, hopefully he, he comes out strong. Yeah, no, I'm definitely hoping for that. Uh, he had his first game against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, it was quite the game. There was two fights right off the bat. Uh, G.J. Kara took on Austin Watson and uh, Cassian took on Grip Branson. But uh, Cassian actually left the game after with an injury. So we're hoping he gets well real soon. And uh, hopefully it's nothing too serious. Uh, that first game against Ottawa, it was... Uh, Interesting game. Tyler Ennis scored for the Oilers, and uh, the Oilers ended up winning 3-1 with uh, an empty netter by Josh Archibald. And uh, he almost had two that game, but I wanted to make a quick comment on uh, Matt Murray. He played uh, actually pretty well for the much the amount of uh, flack I give him, but uh, he had a, a pretty good game for the Sens. You can see he's at least coming together for that team. But uh, Mike Smith in his first game looked Quite impressive, and it, it was nice to see, like you said, to have some normalcy in that and uh, not uh, have to look for guys on waivers to, to back up the 
the uh, the starter. So the uh, Oilers had their next game. Then we played uh, the Sens again, and uh, it was quite a, a different game. The uh, Senators actually outshot the Oilers 42-22 that game. Uh, Koskinen was in net, and the Oilers ended up winning 3-2. Uh, Barry had a, a pretty funny goal as the game winner. It uh, was just this light wrist shot that ended up just tricking Hogberg and going in far side. And uh, they put in Matt Murray right after that. But uh, yeah, Koskinen and uh, Murray shut it down for the rest of the game. It was a 3-2 final and the Oilers are 2-1 and one in the last three. So things are starting to look up for the team. They've won five of their last six. And uh, yeah, they're climbing in the standings, sitting currently at 8-7. and seven. Eight and seven, third in the division and then 10th in the NHL. And honestly, that's uh, that's really good. I mean the Leafs and the, the Habs, uh, you know, just, just a little little bit higher than them. But, I mean, 8-7 and seven is above 500. Um, a couple of their wins have been against the Senators. But, hey, if you can beat them every single time you play them, that that is going to definitely help, help them out in the standings. I did want to mention that McDavid and Dreisaitl, what is this, like 15 games in, they have 27 points, McDavid, 25 for Dreisaitl. But I did want to mention something. I'd love to get your take on it. Uh, the stat that came out. First time since November 28th, 2017, that they were both scoreless in the same game. That's uh, four years. Yeah. No, I, I saw that stat when it came out as well. It's uh, quite interesting. And, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. Those two players make up so much of the uh, Edmonton Oilers offense, obviously, just because of their their caliber. But, uh yeah, it's it's crazy that it's been that long since uh, both guys haven't scored and the Oilers still won. But it, it's nice. But it's good. It's good. It but is. Yeah, it's finally like what people are always saying. Oh, these are the guys that are carrying the franchise. No one else really plays. And what did you mention already? Ennis, Jujar. Good game, Juge. Yeah. And um, those are the guys that they need to just start, you know, playing, scoring. You know when when the big boys can't because because that's how you're gonna keep winning games. So they play Montreal, and then they play Winnipeg twice. So Montreal will be a tough matchup, but if they get that win, that will really help them kind of you know cement themselves into that third spot ahead of the fourth spot and try to climb up to the to the two and the one in the division. And hey, at this rate, we're looking at both of our teams uh, in the playoffs. Uh, knock on wood, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. This next game's huge, and I think especially because of the uh, last two outings against Montreal, the uh, Oilers are coming in really with something to prove. So hopefully they can have a big game against them, and uh, yeah, keep things moving, keep racking up points, and keep moving up in the division. Honestly, I think that is uh, enough hockey, and you know, I know it's sad to say, but let's chat a little bit about some UFC. I know that the uh, there were some fights on last weekend. We got a big fight this weekend, and I think there's some Bellator news. Yeah, absolutely. So for today, it's the MMA segment rather than the uh, UFC segment. We're going to talk a little UFC to start. Um, we had a card this weekend recently. There were two big fights on it. We had Corey Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar and Alistair Overeem versus Volkov, who I can't remember his first name offhand right now. Uh, it's Alexander. It's though. 100% Alexander. <laughs> the most Russian name you could think of. But... Uh, 
Do you know you and him have? The oh same yeah, back yeah. Tattoo, He's right? uh, he just recently actually got that added to it. it. Used to be a big old stingray, and now it's a uh, big samurai, which uh, I think it worked for him because uh, he absolutely dummied Alistair Overeem. And uh, for people who don't know, uh, Alistair Overeem is a former champion in pretty much every uh, different uh, place he's fought right now, except UFC. And this was going to be his big last run at a belt for uh, UFC. The man is 47, now 19-0 and with one no contest. And uh, yeah, Volkov knocked him down in the first round. And you could kind of see he was setting the pace, setting the tempo. And then in the second, uh, he you could see he had really hurt uh, Alistair Overeem. And then he ended up uh, TKOing him early in the second round. Uh, Overeem's face was completely torn up. Uh, Volkov's one-two jab combos. Uh, he was hitting Overeem with them all day. He had four. Oh, yeah. He had they 45 significant strikes. 65% strike accuracy and one knockdown. So he was pushing around Overeem, who's a really big guy, but uh, Volkov himself at uh, six foot seven, 265 pounds. He, he looked like he was coming out of a uh, <laughs> Rocky four. Like the, the man is a, he's, He's a former M1 global heavyweight champ, a former Bellator heavyweight champ, and he's 33 and 8. So it, it wasn't a huge surprise for me that Volkov won, but I, I did not see him knocking out uh, Overeem the way he did. So uh, the man wants to fight for a belt now, and I think you got to throw him up in that mix after you have uh, Stipe versus uh, Nganu 2 happen, after the dust finally settles on that. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Volkov, uh, he's now, he was number six at the start of the fight. He's got to be at least top five now. So I think, yeah, it's, it's time to uh, get the former Bellator champ in the, uh, the UFC title picture. I mean, the younger, taller, bigger reach guy won the fight, and he absolutely dominated the first round. And I, thought, I think that's what made it easy to kind of knock him out in the second. Because he he came out swinging in that first round, and then by I don't think he I don't think Overeem kind of knew what to do, and then his hands kind of went down a little bit, and those punches were coming left and right, and then yeah, it, know, it seemed later. like he was uh, like I said early on, he was he was setting the pace, and Overeem couldn't keep up. But uh... but the the other guy that said see you later was uh, Frankie Edgar. And I think we can chat about it, but I don't know how much we can really talk about a 20-second so fight. that was actually a 28-second fight, and it was the second fastest flying knee knockout in the UFC since Masvidal uh, knocked out Ben Askren in five seconds. So earlier on in the, the card, actually, the uh, co-main event was Corey Sanhagen, who's one of the uh, up-and-comers and, -comers and uh, one of the... Uh, the real players in the uh, bantamweight division was taking on uh, Frankie Edgar, who is a UFC journeyman, and he's also a uh, man who owns the record for the most time spent in the octagon. I know he was uh, over six hours in the octagon last time I checked. He's only ever been knocked out twice, this being the, uh, the second time 
Frankie Edgar was knocked out. And yeah, um, Corey Sanhagen kind of sent that man to the shadow realm. Like uh, it was the start of the fight. Sanhagen was kind of getting his, his reach for a few seconds. You could see uh, Frank Edgar was getting ready to uh, wrestle him as, as Edgar does and uh, lay a beating. And the fight was over before you knew it. Uh, Sanhagen threw a beautiful flying knee, caught him right on the chin. And you can literally watch. He's standing and then Edgar kind of falls over just like a tree and he's, he's out, out. That's what happens when you attack with your hands down. I know knees going to yeah. hit you in the yeah. face. That's that's the thing. You you got to keep your hands up, and especially if you're a wrestler nowadays in in the UFC, it's it's the same thing that happened to Ben Askren. If you're known for wrestling and a fighter knows you're going to shoot right off the bat, one of the smartest things he can do is just lift his knee because you're coming head first right at him to go for his leg. Gets that knee into your chin, it's all over. But uh, yeah, the uh, after the fight. Uh, Sanhagen was uh, bringing up the fact this is his second knockout in a row early on. His uh, first uh, finish before that being against uh, Marlon Marias, who was another uh, bantamweight uh, competitor that was actually working in for another title shot. Uh, he's finished the last two. His last loss was to Aljamain Sterling, who is going to be facing Peter Yan, who is the current bantamweight champion. And Sanhagen simply said, yeah, I, I want uh, the winner of that fight, either the rematch with Sterling or the uh, chance against uh, Jan. And uh, I think he deserves it. And I think it's great for the bantamweight division because we're really getting some uh, real cur- killers in that division now. Speaking of killers, uh, I don't think there's going to be a flying knee 28-second knockout in the UFC 258. But uh, what are your thoughts on Usman versus Burns? And by the way, I can't stop saying excellent every excellent. time I say the word burn. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that uh, it's going to be an interesting fight. They've been talking. The uh, kind of story behind it right now is that uh, Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman are actually teammates. They're on the same team. And it's been in the UFC for quite a while that if your teammate wins a belt, you switch divisions or you don't challenge. Uh, It had been a big thing in the past with uh, Daniel Cormier. He decided that uh, he didn't want to move up to heavyweight until Cain Velasquez retired because he was saying that he knew at that weight class, Velasquez was a better fighter than him. So it's, it's something that's kind of between teammates all the time when they spar so much, they know who is the better one. And, uh, that's why I'm I'm going to pick Kamaru Usman for this one. I think he's the man 17 and 1. His last loss was in May 2013. He's a former NCAA uh wrestling champion. He has past wins over Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Tyron Woodley, Rafael Dos Anjos and Damian Maya. That's pretty much the meat of the welterweight division that you've got uh, right now. And uh, the man's an insane fighter. He's a wrestler. He's kind of like Khabib. He's boring to watch and loves foot stomps. But he succeeds and he excels in a sport that, especially in a point sport, like wrestling moves over to MMA so well. And uh, yeah, I think uh, even though Burns, to his credit, He's 19 and three. He has recent wins over Tyron Woodley and Damien Maya as well. He is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu world champion. 
And his last loss actually was to Dan Hooker in uh, July 2018. He was knocked out. Um, these guys were supposed to fight earlier in the year. You're supposed to have Burns versus Usman, but uh, Gilbert Burns tested positive for the uh, COVID-19. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long-awaited fight. You get to see these two teammates uh, seeing who's going to be the stronger one. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Usman via knockout. Really? I actually have Burns winning. Yeah, I don't know. I like the underdog. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I think uh, after watching Tom Brady be the underdog, I was just in that mood and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put some money on Burns. So let's see if the, he can move this to seven straight wins. Okay. Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll have a, uh, <laughs> something to talk about after this weekend for sure. Yeah. I, I just think Usman's been, it's one of those situations where people have said he's such a boring fighter. He's such a boring fighter, but he's been able to defend. I think he's going to come in the way kind of Adesanya did in the past when he had a, a quick knockout against Costa or Khabib uh, against Gaethje where he uh, made him, he made him submit earlier on in the fight. I think it's going to be Usman coming out to prove a point. Uh, I don't think he's going to try to hurt Burns too badly because he's his teammate but it's also a pro fight for the belt so he could uh give him the colby covington treatment and uh break his jaw uh, being friends or teammates has anything to do with uh, what's going to happen in the ring i think they're both their competitors and uh and you know what think about it now burns knockout, knockout fourth, fourth round. round all right by a jiu-jitsu specialist you heard it here first <laughs> whatever that means all right well Moving on, uh, I want to talk a bit about Bellator. I want to give them, the first off, the respect and love that they deserve because uh, they got some big things coming. They just announced that uh, they're going to have their first card of 2021, April 2nd, where uh, Patricio Frere is going to be facing off against Emmanuel Sanchez in the semifinals of the uh, featherweight tournament for Bellator. So I don't know how much you know about uh, Bellator and uh, Patricio Pitbull Frere, Phil. Um, what, what do you know so much about them? So I did a little bit of research because, you know, I'm getting, back, I'm getting into fighting. And now you're making me le- learn about other leagues. But uh, I know that the, fight's, uh, the fight is Patricio Frere versus Emmanuel Sanchez, correct? In it's going to be in Connecticut. It's the featherweight Grand Prix semifinal. I I actually was kind of confused about mm-hmm. that. So if you can explain that after, and I know it's a rematch, and the winner will be fighting uh, AJ McKee in the tourney final. So kind of give me and the people a little okay. bit of uh, so, actual information. Bellator is doing this really cool idea that you would see in old UFC, where they do a tournament for a what's called a Grand Prix belt. So there's actually two belts that you get from this tournament. The current champion, who is Patricio Frere, 31 and 4. And like, oh man, we're going to go in deeper to him later. But uh, he has to defend the belt in every single round that he fights. All the way to the finals. And then there's going to be two belts on the line. In the finals, it's going to be the featherweight belt that is currently held by Pitbull as well as the featherweight Grand Prix belt. So Bellator started doing this for all of their different uh, 
divisions. They've done a featherweight tournament. They've done a uh, heavyweight tournament, I believe, to start. And then they've done this now with a welterweight tournament, and they just announced a light heavyweight tournament as well. So they let these fighters uh, basically headline different cards. And then rather than fighting on the exact same way, uh, same night the way that uh, UFC used to do back in the day where you would basically just have no rules, they'd fight it out and you'd have a champion by the end, you have time in between. So I think the tournament format is great because uh, it helps A, build stars, B, you know your fights already ahead of time and you usually have an alternate if they can't fight in the next round. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it, it's it's a great way to uh, really test your talent against each other and kind of uh, set rankings in the division or uh, create rivalries. And uh, I think um, UFC could really adopt this uh, idea for their, well, especially for their lightweight division with things going on right now. If it were Bellator, they would just have a tournament and then it works itself out because like I said, every single fight that the uh, champion is fighting is a championship match. It's very interesting. I mean, we mentioned it on the pod, I think episode one or two, and I was like, whoa, that's sick. UFC should do that. But uh, I kind of glad that there was, they don't. So there's kind of two different things for you fighting fans to watch. And so in your honest opinion, who do you think is going to April 2nd. So back to my boy, uh, Pitbull, not Mr. Worldwide, but uh, <laughs> it's the worldwide patricio frere is uh i i'm gonna say it man he's the best featherweight not in the ufc and he might be the best featherweight in the world so this man is a two-time featherweight champion one-time lightweight champion he is the current featherweight lightweight champ champ of bellator and he's the second champ champ in Bellator history, Ryan Bader being the first with heavyweight and light heavyweight belt. But uh, this man knocked out Michael Chandler, whom I know we all saw kill Dan Hooker in 61 seconds on May 29th. That's how he won his lightweight Damn. belt. So he's been talking smack all over social media, deservedly so, saying that the more that he michael chandler wins the more that me destroying him will look great as my official representative in the ufc right now everything he does well will look good for me and i think patricio Freire is going to keep looking good because uh i think he's got this fight uh i think he'll beat emmanuel sanchez again that was sanchez's last loss was also for the for the featherweight belt in uh 2018 at bellator 209 and I'm really excited to see him face AJ McKee in the finals because AJ McKee is 17 and 0. Uh, he had submission of the year last year in 2020 with a neck crank on uh, Darian Caldwell in the same featherweight tournament. And I think that's going to be Patricio Frere's real competition. And I think that was the point of this tournament was for the buildup of Pitbull versus AJ McKee. And I think really if if Pitbull loses in the finals or if he is to lose one of his featherweight belts, I think maybe that's when you start thinking, is he, is he going to jump ship to UFC? The guy seems to be a Bellator guy through and through. And like I said, he's basically the Max Holloway of Bellator. And uh, 
because he fights on Bellator, he doesn't get the uh, the respect he deserves. But he's a hell of a fighter. Uh, it's funny actually. His his fight against Chandler was uh, it was kind of like a uh, almost like a schoolyard fight because uh, Chandler, to defend his belt, had actually uh, beat Patricio's brother uh, Patricky in uh, a fight earlier on in the year to defend his belt. So it was kind of like his, his brother coming in to defend his honor. And yeah, like I said, he, he's TKO'd Chandler in 61 seconds. And I, I think this man deserves all the respect in the world as one of, if not the best featherweight currently fighting. I'm excited for UFC and for Bellator. So I think that was a great MMA talk. I know that our time is kind of coming to an end, but before we end, I just wanted to kind of mention that the Australian Open uh, started. Started February 7th, ends on February 21st, and just wanted to shout out the Canadians that were that are kind of playing right now. So, unfortunately, Bianca Andreescu, you know, Canada's golden girl, she, uh, she got upset in the second round, and it was her first tournament in 15 months from injury. So, sad to see that uh, she didn't make it too far, but, I mean, her future's bright. And then we got a cool third-round matchup. It's an all-Canadian matchup. We got Denis Shapovalov versus Felix Oji Aliyah Sim. I think I nailed that one. Um, so you got uh, the 11-seeded Denis versus the 20-seeded Felix. So whoever wins, you got a Canadian winning, so that's always good. And then Milos Ronic is also still in the uh, tournament. He's actually going to be a third-round matchup February 12th versus uh, Fuksovic, and he's actually beat him twice already, so he's 2-0 against them. So Hopefully he gets past that third round and maybe uh, one of the Canadians gets and to hopefully we uh, get another win for Milos. But I mean, that's all I kind of had. It's uh, it's down under. I kind of let you guys know who wins, you know, in our next pod. And uh, I know you had a little bit uh, about your hometown Edmonton. Yes. So to round off. The- <laughs> I almost called them the Eskimos for a second. I, uh, yeah, I uh, just wanted to, uh, round things out by uh, letting everyone know the Edmonton football team are down to seven names and they're actually doing a survey that uh, you can go online and you can vote on their uh, potential names. They've got it down to uh, the Edmonton Elk, Edmonton Evergreens, Edmonton Evergolds, Edmonton Eclipse, Edmonton Elk Hounds, Edmonton Eagles, and Edmonton Elements. Uh, I personally um, chose Elk as my number one choice, I, I've said before, I think that's uh, best name for the team. I think you can do a lot with it. I think uh, it's great for branding. It'll be easy to make a mascot. You just make it an elk. And uh, I don't think I could cheer for a team called the Eagles. So <laughs> I'm Edmonton Elk through and through. You sent me the list and I was I was going to go on and, and do, this, do the, I guess, yeah, it's like it, a little questions. questions or whatever. And then it asked, yeah, yeah. And then it asked me like, how many season tickets or how many games did I go to? And I'm like, well, zero technically. So I didn't really want to, you know, send in my answers. Plus, the EE football team wasn't an option. But honestly, I don't think they should go with like Evergreens or Element. I don't know. I just feel like things that are like inanimate objects or like it just doesn't work sometimes. And I think they should go with like a strong animal, and to be honest, I don't care if they go with the Eagles because it'd be fun for oh, you to cheer for I the Cowboys. I would be and the absolutely Eagles. destroyed if we started singing "Fly Eagles Fly" at Edmonton uh, football games. Well, you got to start a petition, you know, get it out there that you know the Elks is the best name, and uh, 
hopefully uh, all the uh, yeah all, all of our listeners agree with you. Uh, go out <laughs> vote for Edmonton Elk and let's make a movement happen actually everyone go vote for the Eagles so we can see Dalton cringe um, but anyways this was a hell of a week for sports and uh, I'm kind of excited for a hell of a week of sports next week but uh, I think we have to bid adieu to this wonderful podcast and I'm Dalton I am your host Phil Giannini have a good one and see you next Friday